listening to Expand Your Horizons, the podcast for English language teachers and wanderlust indulgers. This is Lauren and Shannon, teacher training duo of TefelHorizons.com. Each week, we bring you teaching advice, travel tips, and inspiring stories from around the globe. Here's to making this big world a little smaller by connecting ESL teachers everywhere. Welcome to this week's episode of Expand Your Horizons. I am here in Boston with Lauren. Hi. And it's kind of a special episode because I'm actually going to interview Lauren. Lauren is our guest today. Hooray. So welcome, Lauren. Thanks for being on the podcast. (laughs) Thanks so much for having me. (laughs) Um, It sounds funny, but I am actually excited to let you share about your own experience and everything you know about this field, everything that you've done, learned uh, some of your teaching wisdom, so I'm actually really happy that we're doing this. I'm excited too. Um, okay, so let's start with the basics. How did you first get interested in teaching English as a second language? Right, so um, I studied art in English as an undergrad, so I was basically unemployable <laughs> with, <laughs> I love just, how you say that. <laughs> with just an undergrad, I mean an art in English. Um, it was going to be tough, but uh, somewhere in my senior year, I um, it was random. I took a I took an ethics class, and uh, we had to do this final project on uh, a topic of our choice. And I was I was looking at altruism and sort of what that means. And, and I had this sort of this moment where I realized that I I'd worked really hard in my undergrad, like really really hard, um, but I was so focused on me and so focused on getting good grades and you know, getting all of this experience in college that sort of just lost sight of the people around me. And it struck me that, um, you know, that I hadn't even like really volunteered, um, since I think high school. So I had this moment of like wanting to be able to help other people also of completely freaking out. Cause not, I didn't know what I wanted to do after I graduated. So I, mm-hmm. uh, I started looking for, um, for opportunities to study abroad, I mean, to teach abroad. Um, but it was so late in the school year that um, through the, the office that handled that at my, at my college, um, all of like the, the cool positions, if you will, were taken. Um, the cool teach abroad positions? Sure. Like, you know, I don't know. Uh, one might want to go to like Italy and, mm. you know, and, and places like that. Um and so, you know, I was like, I don't know, I just, I want to teach abroad. And this was like really a, a decision made in a, in a matter of hours. And I just was like, yeah, I want to go teach abroad. <laughs> so uh, the positions that they had left, the, the positions that I remember that they had left were in um, Russia and Romania. And I was like, okay. And the, mm-hmm. the person in the office said, do you have a preference? I said, I absolutely do not have a preference. Um, let's just, you know, apply and see what happens. And Romania um, got back to me that afternoon, actually. Wow. So was this a program that was through your university or how? Yeah. I guess, how did your university hook you up with this job? Yeah. yeah. They So they had like, uh, yeah, teach abroad programs, actually, or like, yes, a, a volunteer abroad program, I guess. Okay. So you were going as a volunteer. Yeah. My first year, I actually didn't get paid uh it was crazy I don't think I knew that wow okay yeah so you went to Romania kind of just on a whim then because that was available and that's who got back to you first yeah I I don't recommend doing it like that however that's that is (laughs) what I did uh so that was like that was 20 years ago it was in 1999 that I went to Romania um and 
yeah, they, they set it up pretty quickly. Like, they got me um, a work visa, I guess. I think it was a work visa. Um, and, yeah, and, you know, got me set up with flights and stuff right away. Um, and so that was the deal is that they would take care of that stuff and, and room and board. Um, and that I would go and help them with their um, growing kindergarten program. Okay, so you signed on to teach young learners, and at that point you did not have any teaching experience. You had just come out of your undergrad, your university degree. Right, right. Um, so you were just kind of thrown into it. Um, so what was your experience like? Like, kind of what was your typical day? What was your schedule like? What were your responsibilities? What was your experience like? Yeah, it was... It was uh... It was interesting, you know, kids, kids, thank goodness, are very forgiving, and so I didn't know what I was doing right away. I knew English, so I had that going for me, <laughs> um, but that was about it. I had never, uh, you know, really taught children English. I had worked with children in, in preschool. I loved working with four-year-olds. Um, it was sort of my thing. Uh, kindergarten in Romania starts at a pretty young age, like around age three, four. Okay. Um, you know, what we would consider preschool here, they put together, so they've got at the kindergarten that I worked at, they had two groups, like the younger group and the older group of kids. And I would go in and teach about an hour, approximately 45 minutes to an hour each day with each group separately. Okay. Mm-hmm. So this is really little kids. Are you doing things like songs, games? Yeah. It was hard to figure out at first. I didn't under, I don't think I really, well, I definitely didn't know what I was getting myself into and I didn't really know how to structure a young learner class so what I did was I I did some research about um, like young learner preschool curriculums here in the U.S. Mm -hmm. and one really cool thing about preschool curriculums is that they're thematic so every week has a different theme so like you're studying about like things you find in a city or like animals and that's really great for English teaching purposes because you at least have like that theme to work off and so what I did was I just started like finding anything I could on that theme. It was a little bit harder because in, you know, in 1999 in, in Romania, I didn't have like a computer or internet. I'd have to go yeah. to like this internet cafe and like oh pay God. to like, you know, sign in and like look things up and stuff. Um, so I just really, I mean, I just sort of tried to remember stuff that I had done when I was a kid, um, any kind of song that I could remember, you know, to do with that theme. Um, I wrote poems for them to like learn and recite. Um, and we did a ton of vocabulary and games. Mm -hmm. And so since you went in without experience, like I was saying, you really had to learn by doing, what would you say were kind of your biggest takeaways? Like what, I guess, what would you tell somebody now going into teaching young learners without experience? Uh, I would tell them to not go without a certification. (laughs) (laughs) How do you think having a certification would have helped? Like what things could you have maybe avoided or what wouldn't you have had to figure out? I would have felt more like an expert in my craft. I mean, it's certainly by the end. I stayed in Romania from 99 until 2000 and 2005, end of 2005. Mm-hmm. So like, certainly by the end, I had learned a lot of techniques and I could pass them on to the person coming after me. And I, I felt really, um, I felt really good about the curriculum that we developed. But like, you know, in 99, I had no idea what I was doing. It's a good thing that children kind of just learn by immersion because that's, that's what we did. Um, so yeah, if you're, I mean, I really think if you're going to teach young learners, um, get some sort of training because they'll at least, at least give you tips and like materials and stuff like that. I didn't mm-hmm. have anything. Um, but that being said, 
teaching kids in one way is easier because they don't need to learn all that grammatical stuff that we struggle with as adult learners. Um, yeah, you that's know, true. They sort of just pick it up. Um, but they have really high energy levels. And so if you don't, you know, if you don't have a lot of energy, uh, it's really hard to keep up with them. I can imagine. Uh, so you were there six years, which yeah. is significant. Yeah. <laughs> what was it that kept you there so long? I would, I mean, I'd love to say that it was like that job. And in a way, I mean, it's it, so, it, it was really interesting. You know, that was, it was such a long time ago. Um, those kids, I'm still in touch with a lot of those kids and they meant a lot to me and we sort of grew up together. You know, I see them online now and they're just, I mean, they're all grown, you know, getting done with college, getting married, having babies. It's crazy. And so I became really close to some families there and mm-hmm. I felt really sort of invested in those, those children and, and what they were learning and learning English, uh, especially at that time was a big deal for them. Yeah. Um, so I felt really loyal to the, to the families. Um, but I also started branching out and teaching in other places as well. Um, I continued working at the kindergarten in the morning and then the afternoons and evenings, I picked up some other, some other jobs that kept me sort of interested in, in going back to Romania year after year. Okay. Interesting. Um, yeah. So I imagine, like you said, you made a lot of strong connections. Um, so from there, you were there six years, and then where did you go from there? Well, um, so when I was, I, I don't know if I would have come back even after six years, but uh, my sister called and she said, hey, so uh, I have to tell you something. I'm engaged. I'm getting married, and I want you to come back and help me with my wedding. And I was like, well, that seems like a pretty pretty big deal. <laughs> so time to go back to the U.S., and so I did, and, you know, I had only done college by that point, like college and Romania. I didn't know anything about like the English language teaching job market in the U.S. I had, I had no idea. I fell into it, you know. And at that point, I was pretty convinced that I loved what I was doing. I just, I actually didn't even know that you could do it here in the U.S. And mm-hmm. so in the meantime, I picked up like a temp job. And I was doing that and it was horrible. Um, was it an office job? It was an office job and it's just <laughs> something I'm not cut out for. It was, uh, the people were great and everyone was kind. I, uh, I, I don't fit in, in an office. It's just, it's just not what I do. Um, but I remember I did have a lot of downtime working in that office. And so um, as the summer was approaching, and my sister's wedding was approaching, I was doing some research online, like, I wonder if there are any teaching jobs. You know, it was just luck, because what I didn't know was here in the U.S., language schools hire on a lot of English teachers in the summer, because enrollment increases in the summer months, so from, like, June until August, and I didn't know it, so it was just luck, and I was on, if you can believe, Craigslist back in the day, um, I was on Craigslist and I was just like looking at like, I don't even know what I put in like English teaching jobs or something. And I found this one. Um, and it was right down the street from where I was working then. So it was really easy to like set up a job interview for my lunch break. Nice. Okay. Yeah. So you interviewed on your lunch break. You yeah. got the job. I yeah. Assume. So, uh, for, yeah, I interviewed, it was at, um, EF. So, um, education first. Uh, some people might know it as English first. It's called English first in other countries. Um, uh, but the parent company, um, is called education first. And so, yeah, I started working there the week after my sister's wedding that summer. 
Um, and they, when they interviewed me, um, you know, they, it was great. It was such a fun interview. We, you know, we just, we talked, we talked about, uh, living abroad. Um, the person interviewing me was just like, oh, I noticed that you, that you taught in Transylvania. Um, you know, tell me more about that. Like, I really love Eastern Europe. And so that was sort of an in, it was nice. Um, and then she said, so when can you start? <laughs> I was like, okay, well, <laughs> so nice. she's getting married, so I'm going to have to wait. But yeah, uh, so like, I started, you know, like the week after or whatever. Um, but they had made no promises. They said, look, we need to hire a lot of teachers on in the summer. No promises that we can keep you in September. I said, absolutely no problem. I'm so grateful, you know, for the, for the the for the job. But in the back of my head, I was thinking, I'll show you. <laughs> And you did, right? You stayed there. Yeah, I stayed. I don't even know how many years, like from, I can't do math, uh, 20, 2006 until 2013. Okay. Yeah. Like early 2013. Yeah. Sure. Um, so it was a while. And uh, I just remember uh, the funniest thing. My very first week there, I was walking around. I had gone into like the teacher's resource room and grabbed some books or whatever. And I was carrying them around. And the, um, the office manager walked up to me and said, um, excuse me, where did you get those books? And I was like, uh, from the teacher's resource room. And she said, oh my goodness, you're, <laughs> I thought you were a student, you're a teacher. And she was horrified and I laughed and she laughed. And <laughs> so it was a good start. It was nice. a really good start. Nice. So you looked the part, clearly. Uh, yeah, <laughs> apparently I blended. I don't even know. Uh, yeah, but they ended up keeping me on um, in the fall. And that was really cool. So at EF, were you teaching young learners still, or were you teaching adults? No, by then I had transitioned into teaching adults. Okay. Had you been working with adults in Romania, or was this the first time that you had experience with adult learners? I started working with adults in Romania. I actually transitioned from teaching young learners to teaching in this, like, high school program, um, which was okay. It was was nice. They were, like, older learners, you know, Mm 16-plus. And then my friend um, and her partner had... um, a language school and they hired me to teach adults um which was great it was like early early in the morning like seven o'clock in the morning or something um teaching these adults uh in romania who were teaching in the gas and, and oil industry wow. um it was incredible but my uh my luck there was that uh my friend's partner was um was celta trained and he believed in um and really like instilling that in all of his teachers. And so he gave me such great on the job training. I felt like when I got back to the US, I had a lot to offer, um, you know, in terms of um, teaching adults. Oh, that's fantastic. Okay, so that explains then how you felt more confident teaching adults once you got to EF and yeah. probably how you kept your job <laughs> come <Yeah>. September <laughs> instead of just being a seasonal teacher. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I just, I thought, you know, let me work really hard that summer and prove myself and if they can keep me they will and if they can't then I'll find something else um and I mean I worked hard like really hard I, I researched resources and tried to make my classes as interesting and interactive as possible and if they needed a substitute teacher I said yes you know and I just tried to take every mm-hmm. opportunity they gave me so you were there as you said for many years how did your career at EF evolve um I, I decided early on that if I was offered an opportunity at EF, I was going to take it. And so, you know, there were little little things along the way. Like uh, they said, would you like to uh, be trained to be like uh, an examiner on the weekends? Um, and so I was trained to like to moderate the Cambridge exams. Um, so the easier part of that is just sort of being the one who's like in the classroom administering the paper exam. 
But then once I got trained to do that, they asked if I wanted to become an oral examiner. And that's a bit more like of an intensive training. Um, you know, and I had to like go in on a Saturday and, uh, you know, no one really wants to give up a Saturday. It's not like we were paid for it, but I had already said like, I'm going to say yes to these opportunities and get as much on my resume as possible. Cause I knew that I was already behind. Like people who had started their career when I did were already several years into it and had these accomplished accomplishments on their resume. Whereas I had spent a lot of time in Romania and didn't know that these these things kind of even existed. I just didn't know the the English language teaching world at all then. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so just um, just as an aside, you're talking about the Cambridge exam. So for those of you who are listening, if you don't know, um, Cambridge does these big, they're called proficiency exams. So students who need to prove their English language level for whatever reason, maybe they're trying to get a visa to an English-speaking country, um, maybe they want to get into a university in an English-speaking country, Maybe they just want to get a better job or a raise in their own country and they need you know, to prove their level of English knowledge to do that. Um, they can take these big exams. Think of it as kind of like the SAT or yeah. GRE yeah. or whatever um, for people to prove their English knowledge. Yeah. And so you were basically like officiating... Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, now I can't think of the word. Moderating? Pro- or moderating, proctoring. Proctoring, yeah. Proctoring that's the word, those that's exams. It. Yeah. Yeah, and it, it was actually another little bit of luck because... While I wasn't doing anything like uh, in Romania, like I, I, I didn't really know what I was doing in Romania. I was just sort of given those opportunities. Uh, the the language school that my um, my friend ran, they were using Cambridge materials that are already aligned with all of those exams and stuff. So I was really familiar with Cambridge materials when I came back into the U.S. I just Again, I didn't, I didn't understand the importance of that. I didn't know it was a thing. Like mm-hmm. Cambridge materials could have been anything to me, you know. <laughs> but I, I didn't realize that I actually did have a lot more knowledge than I thought I did until I sort of got into EF and started seeing that, oh, wait, I know this. Wait, I've used this before. Oh, I know what they're talking about, you know, when they're talking mm-hmm. about pronunciation and things like that. So, Yeah, so it sounds like it was a really good opportunity just to kind of show you what you already knew and for you to... It's not like you were learning totally new things, but really develop this knowledge that you already had and expand on it. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, I, a lot of it, I hate to say, you know, it was all luck because it was, it was hard work. I, you know, I, I won't, um, sell myself short there, but it was a lot of luck too. Like some of it was just a lot of being in the right place at the right time and me being eager and, and willing to take work on. Um, yeah. EF was the first place that I got, uh, experience training teachers too. Mm-hmm. And it was it was pretty incredible. It was just, you know, one day, like they needed someone uh, in the summer, they, t- they would train teachers from other countries, they'd bring in groups. And they needed someone to, you know, to join the team of teacher trainers. Um, and so I did, they asked if I, I would, and I, w- of course, said yes, because I said I was going to say yes. And uh, I don't remember getting formal training for that, except for again, it was all just Cambridge stuff. Like, uh, for those of you who know or don't know it, I, we were. It was based on the Cambridge um, TKT test, which is the Teaching Knowledge Test. Um, so a lot of terminology and things like that, um, and that's what we we had based our training program on. Um, with then like a, a separate component for like watching the teachers teach in the classroom and things. So you're using that TKT test as um, kind of like criteria thing, like. 
Yeah, like the theory maybe behind yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. Like kind of what to measure the teachers against. Like, are they doing these and these things? Yeah. Or, yeah, yeah. And it was also really great for the teachers too because they had, you know, certificates to take home at the end of the summer. Okay, that they had gone through this training program. Yeah, the TKT has like three, uh, three different modules, and they're separately certificate certificated I don't even know if that's a word sure let's they certified cert- awarded awarded so mm-hmm. anyway it's <laughs> cool we're I'm English good, teachers I'm we good with this. words today uh, but yeah so like if you finish you know module one and you take the exam then you get a certificate and so on and so forth with the other modules um so it was it was really rewarding for them to be able to take that home okay that's great so that's how you started training teachers and it sounds like that happened just because you seniority at that point you'd been working hard you'd been learning a lot you sort of demonstrated your willingness to take on new roles um and so yeah you transitioned pretty smoothly into teacher training yeah they I just I feel so grateful I really feel grateful uh to my mentors um at EF for just I don't know maybe seeing something in me that I didn't know was originally there I, I don't I don't know I don't know what they saw, but I, I am so grateful for what they did see because that's what I wanted to do. Like, I love training teachers so much. I love being in a classroom and showing, you know, best methods and stuff like that. And I just, it was so great. And, uh, EF, they sent me, they sent me to different countries to do it too, you know, for f- several weeks at a time to, uh, to train teachers in a couple of countries. Um, and then one time I was even sent to, uh, Germany to, teach demo lessons uh in high schools which was incredible as well oh wow what was that like it was intense I was there for I think I was there for six weeks uh different different city every day a lot of different hotels um and halfway through I because um in one of the schools like the week before or whatever uh I was put in like sort of an auditorium type place and that's not the setup it was supposed to be. It was supposed to be like small classes, teaching, whatever. And I don't know if there was some miscommunication. Um, anyway, so I'm in this auditorium, didn't have a microphone or something. I don't know really what happened. I ended up losing my voice like halfway through this tour and we were already scheduled like throughout Germany to be teaching these lessons. So that was pretty funny. They flew someone in from England for a couple of days to cover for me while I recovered. Oh my gosh. So when you say demo lessons, do you mean like you're kind of a representative from EF going to teach these classes to like show them what kind of learning experience they would get if they enrolled in EF? Right, exactly. So like, and that's why we're targeting like the older learners. So, you know, the ones who potentially would come to EF in like the summer or for an academic year or something. That's really cool. Yeah, it was fun. It was a lot of fun. It was a ton of work, but it was great. That is awesome. And clearly they had a lot of trust in you if they're sending you as their representative to yeah 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 it was um it was it was a huge compliment too I have to say I I uh I'm really I'm just so grateful for my time there um I think that um for me it was really motivating to to keep on um being able to achieve different things at Mm -hmm. EF you know just when I you know I kind of uh learned how to you know like be a really solid classroom teacher then I sort of had the next um, challenge of like learning how to teach exam prep or be an examiner, um, or, uh, you know, being able to be a teacher trainer or, you know, take that, then take those skills and then go overseas and do the same thing. So I was, I felt like the entire time I was there, I was really growing and really Mm -hmm. being pushed, um, to, to acquire new skills. I think that's a really great point that I think it's great for teachers to think about if you're in the same place for a number of years, 
I think it's really important to know that you don't have to just be doing the same thing, you know, teaching the same classes, staying in the same role for all of those years. I think it's a great thing to be able to develop and be learning more and more. Yeah. And the point I think you're making without even trying is that, you know, you were very proactive in that. It's not like you were just sitting around kind of waiting for things to fall into your lap necessarily, although some things did, but yep. you went in with the intention that you were going to learn as much as you could and that you were going to say yes to these experiences. And sometimes that meant saying yes to things that, you know, weren't paid or weren't terribly well paid or were on Saturday mornings or whatever, but because you were growing through that experience rather than just thinking of everything as, you know, well, are you going to pay me for this class or not? Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, absolutely. I think that's great. And I had a couple of really good, good mentors there too, really good friends and really good mentors. And, uh, there was a time when, you know, early in my career at EF where the teacher's room was just like such a, a cool place to be. Cause like you could walk in and just like talk about English language teaching and people were like kind of fired up about methodology and they wanted to, you know, what activity do you have, you know, to practice whatever, uh, you know, phrasal verbs or something. And it was sort of a very, very open, uh, open place in this open dialogue. And that really inspired me. Um, and then a couple of my friends were really, um, just, you know, just so, um, so good to me and so complimentary and, and, uh, encouraged me to pursue, uh, more professional develop for my, development for myself as well. That's very cool. I think so important to have supportive colleagues. And um, I didn't ask you this um, because I know, but for our listeners, so this was EF in Boston, Correct. right? So you're yep. from this area. Yes. So when you came back to the States, you ended up here in Boston yeah. working for EF in yep. Boston. And I've come full circle because after many years, here I am again. <laughs> yes. Now we're back, which we will get to eventually as we <laughs> yeah. progress through your timeline. So... Okay, so you transitioned pretty smoothly into teacher training, and then you became a CELTA trainer. Tell us about that journey. I did. Um, because I loved the... Uh, yeah, CELTA trainer. Sorry, this I'm getting ahead of myself, yeah. but you got your Delta first. Which yeah, is yeah. So at EF, um, I, I was looking for sort of the next professional development opportunity, and uh, a couple of my friends there uh, already had done their delta so the delta um it would be like the step up from doing your celta for those of you who are familiar with celta um and a really good friend of mine chris encouraged me uh to to do my delta and i didn't think i was ready i you know i, I don't know if it was like imposter syndrome or something where i just like didn't i didn't think i had enough experience or i didn't think that i like had as much experience as the other people that were going to do their delta and he said just apply like, you know, they can say no, but they could say yes. And so I did. I actually first applied to uh, to do it in Argentina, but then thought best, better of it because, like, if you're going to go to Argentina, go on vacation. Like, don't go and do, you know, <laughs> don't go do six weeks of training or whatever. That's horrible. <laughs> um, so I didn't go to Argentina, but I did end up going to New York to do, um, to do my Delta um, at Teaching House. Yeah, and there – so – for those of you who don't know, in the United States, there really aren't that many places where you can do the, the Delta. Right. Um, I think the Delta in general is something we could do a whole podcast episode on, which I think we're planning to do. Um, but yeah, basically, as Lauren said, it's like the kind of the next step um, up from CELTA. And it's offered in like international houses. It's, it's pretty easy to find internationally, but not terribly easy to find in the U.S., so New York is one of the few places you can go. 
yeah. which is why you went from Boston to New York to do that. Yeah, and people often ask me why I didn't just do my my master's instead of my Delta, and the truth is I was um, I was interested in the hands-on approach that that the Delta has. I I wanted to become a teacher trainer. I had a very specific goal in mind. And while I, I may have been able to do that through a, a master's as well, Delta was the more direct uh, way to do that. Um, I just knew like if I, you know, if I can get through this course, it's intense. It's a super intense course, but like if I can get through it, then I can be a, a, a trainer. And uh, my, uh, my bosses and my coworkers at EF were so supportive when I was doing it. They let me take, you know, that let me take a leave to go and do it um, for like four weeks in New York. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, without their support, I wouldn't have been able to do it for sure. Oh, wow. And you did it in four weeks. I did. Uh, it's modular, so modular, I did yeah. uh, like the first one. The first module was online. I think that was a few months. The second module was face to face, and I did that in New York. Um, and then the third module was a written project, which I also submitted online. Okay, but yeah, you did module two in four weeks. Yeah, so I think like the whole thing for me took probably around nine months or so. Okay, interesting. Yeah, that's that four weeks is intense. I did mine part time, which I'm sure we'll talk about in the future too. But it's it's a lot. Yeah, in a short amount of time. It it was a lot. It was it was super 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 intense. But I had I had amazing (laughs) trainers um, that I continued to keep in touch with even after I finished um, the Delta. After I finished the the Delta, I was still, um, I still stayed with, with EF for a little bit after that. And then, uh, then I don't know. I just, I realized that if I wanted to do more full-time teacher training, I was going to have to look for opportunities in other places because while EF had given me a lot of teacher training, um, opportunities, it was just, it was only part-time and we had, um, you know, during the summer and stuff like that, we ran uh, programs, but most of the time it was it was classroom teaching with students, mm-hmm. which I loved. But was I was ready for that challenge? Mm-hmm. Okay, so you got your Delta, and then you said you stayed at EF a little bit after that. Yeah. But what happened next? Well, in the meantime, <laughs> um, EF had sent me to do this teacher training in um, Brazil. I love this story. Can I just say for the, about the presentation? <laughs> yes. So I don't know. I don't know. what I still don't know what happened. It was, uh, you know, something was lost in the sort of um, uh, communication. I have no idea. But so, you know, Lauren, can you go to Brazil? And I was like, well, they knew I've always wanted to go to Brazil. So that was an easy yes. I was like, absolutely, I'll go to Brazil. And so it was like um, the early September, I think, 2013. Um, and, and they even, I mean, they were so supportive. They even gave me paid like time out of the classroom to prepare this presentation, like the presentation there. That's great. Yeah. Like so, so, so good to me, really so good to me. So of course I was like, yes, of course I'm going to go to Brazil. Like I want to go to Brazil. So we get there, uh, I get there and, um, I immediately fall in love with Brazil. Like the, the plane landed, um, I was doing this presentation in Belo Horizonte, which is like in the mountains. Um, so it's a very different feel like for Brazil, when you picture Brazil, maybe you picture like Rio or something on the beach, but this was very, it's like a city surrounded by mountains. Uh, Belo Horizonte is like beautiful horizon. It was amazing. So we touched down and I'm already in love with the, you know, with the country. I'm like, this is amazing. So, you know, I'm getting ready to do the teacher training, which I've imagined to be several groups of teachers up 
up to the number kept on growing but what I finally understood was it would be like a couple hundred teachers but like throughout the day so I could like break them into smaller groups and do that you know traditional like hands-on teacher training with them um you know even a group of 50 is a very large group but I was like I could okay like if it's 50 I'll still be able to like manage it somehow I just need enough handouts (laughs) (laughs) so yeah so I got to the venue and (laughs) I realized when I got to the venue that um it I did not fully understand what I had gotten myself into I had been advertised as the keynote speaker of a conference (laughs) that's amazing And I wasn't doing a teacher training with, like, small groups. I was doing a presentation in front of, well, I didn't know how many at first because they wouldn't tell me because they saw me panicking a little bit. Oh, my god! But it turned out to be about 1,200 people. (laughs) So you're speaking? Surprise! You're giving (laughs) a presentation to 1,200 people. Yeah. um, And you thought you were going to be doing this sort of hands-on workshop, small groups. How did you deal with that? I mean, you make it work. Uh, I was like, I was backstage. The news was there. They had interviewed me. I was just like, what is going on right now? Like I'm backstage. My knees are shaking a little bit because all I can think is, thank goodness I had a PowerPoint presentation, you know, ready, like and made for this because at least I can like go off that. And I just thought, well, I mean, either I, you know, I, I do this or I, or I don't. I guess I have no choice now. I want to go out on stage. And it was like little me on a very large stage. Uh, so, you know, the, the PowerPoint presentation goes up in back of me. Um, and I realized that it's been translated into Portuguese. The PowerPoint had already been translated? My PowerPoint had been translated into Portuguese. So... I thought that was going to be sort of like my my crutch, you know, the thing that I could sort of like read a little bit off of and then talk a little bit about. Right. Uh, but it was in Portuguese. <laughs> that is insane. So I don't know. I mean, I know there's a video floating around on YouTube somewhere of this, and I'm horrified to watch it, but I'm pretty sure the look on my face was absolute panic. And then I just thought, well, this is the moment to make it work. So it was a topic I knew well. I had written, you know, I had written the presentation myself. Um, it was about task-based learning, uh, something I'm super passionate about. So I was just like, well, I guess, you know, either I, I can make a fool of myself or I can just talk about this as though I know it. So I'm going to talk about it as though I know it. But it was like, it was a weird, a very weird experience because a lot of the teachers there spoke English. And so when I said, turn to your partner and tell them, you know, whatever interactive thing I had had planned, which I still did with 1200, the other half of the the group were using like um, headphones with a translator. There was like a translator sitting in the front row translating me to to other people who didn't understand English. So it turns out they weren't all English teachers. <laughs> oh, so some were just teacher teachers, like not actual yes, English yes. speakers. <laughs> yes. Um, so funny. But I love that you still used, um, as we just talked about on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, uh, you just used, you still use the task cycle. Talk absolutely. to your partner, try to get some... Yeah you know, varied interaction patterns in there, pair work. And then, yeah, it was great. And then the sales office there also set up some smaller teacher trainings for me um, while I was there. So I did a couple, you know, I went around to local schools and things. And again, as a representative of of EF saying, you know, we train teachers, you know, we teach students and, and sort of giving them a sample of that. So that was more, I mean, that was a little bit, you know, easier because that's what I'm used to doing. Right, right. And what you had expected to be doing in the first place. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Okay. So clearly you're earning your stripes here as a trainer, (laughs) sort of in the world of TEFL. Um, How did you then progress to CELTA trainer status? So um, 
I, uh, well, when I returned from Brazil uh, to EF, I realized that what I really wanted to do was go to Brazil. Um, and so I ended up leaving EF at the end of that year and going just for a few months to Brazil, um, like from, I think like January until March or so, or maybe, yeah, I think January until March, mm-hmm. um, and doing some teacher trainings and stuff down there with, um, with, the a, a company that I had met when I was down there the first time I'd made connections and stayed in touch. Yep. Um, and it, you know, it was going well, it was just, uh, really hard to market yourself in in a country that isn't your own and I also wasn't you know I wasn't set up with like you know a a specific job or a work visa or anything I was just sort of down there trying to train teachers um so see what was going to happen yeah and so I I remember actually I was in the the school um one day they had better internet than I had at home so I was at the school (laughs) I wasn't teaching that afternoon but I was just sort of hanging out looking you know looking at resources and stuff and kind of thinking like you know, here I am, I came all the way to Brazil, not with any expectations of necessarily staying or going, I didn't really know, but I did want to, you know, I was really happy that I was there, but I, I kind of felt like I had accomplished what I had gone to, to do and that I, mm-hmm. I was looking for something else and I wasn't sure what it was. And I was frustrated and I remember staring at my computer screen and just saying, I need a sign. I don't even know if I believe in signs, but I need one. And I swear to you, uh, not even a second later, my, uh, my inbox pinged. And it was my Salta trainer, Lizzie. Um, or Delta trainer. Or, sorry, my yeah. Delta trainer, <laughs> uh, Lizzie, with whom I had kept in touch. Um, I, I think I had just like sent her a picture of this ridiculous picture of me hiking in Brazil with like a rainbow. And it was like crazy. And her message was so funny. She said, um, you know, uh, it looks like heaven once you fall back to earth. Um, you know, give me a ring. Um, if you're coming back to the U.S., we'd love to hire you. We'd love to train you as a Salta trainer. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, guess that's a sign. <laughs> and so I gave notice. And two weeks later, I came back to the U.S. And you went to New York, right, to train up as a Celta trainer. Yeah. So the very same people who had, um, you know, who had trained me or yeah, were my trainers on my Delta um, were the same people to hire me and to train me to become a Celta trainer, which was really cool. Yeah. And it's, it's a process. So again, for our listeners, it's... Um, you know, being a CELTA trainer is not as simple as you just get hired. It's, you know, as with all Cambridge things, like doing the CELTA, doing the Delta, becoming a CELTA trainer, there's a whole training up process where you are basically a trainer in training for the duration of an entire CELTA course. Um, and you're kind of being assessed that whole time. So it's almost like a four to five week long interview mm-hmm. for your job, <laughs> like hands-on interview for that job. And then at the end, you kind of find out um, whether you have kind of passed the training up process or whether you need to stay on and train on another course before you're officially approved to become a trainer or if it's not going to work out. Yeah. So um, so that when we say train up to be a Celta trainer, that's yeah. what we're talking about. It's, it's pretty intense, um, but absolutely worth it. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So, so you became a Celta trainer. Was that, I don't know if I've ever asked you this, was that something you knew you wanted to do? Um, or was that something that just kind of happened as, as a good opportunity? That when I did my Delta, I really did want to become a Celta trainer. Um, I wasn't, I wasn't sure like really what the waiting period was because I think, you know, other people have, have gone through maybe the, the stages of English language, you know, teaching and then train, uh, uh, Delta and training or whatever faster than I had. Um, 
so I wasn't sure if I had like enough post Delta experience in order to qualify as a mm-hmm. trainer, but they actually took all of my Cambridge uh, training experience into account when they okay. when they trained me um, because I had been doing all of that for EF, uh, you know, in the years previous. Okay. Okay. So Teaching House hired you as a CELTA trainer. Um, and I'm curious to ask you this because um, I don't know if we've ever overtly talked about this, but I feel this way. Like, I feel like after working as a CELTA trainer for some years, my own teaching has vastly improved. Do you feel the same way? Yeah, absolutely. About yourself? Yeah, yeah, a hundred percent. It's so it's it's hard not to separate yourself, uh, like the the trainer brain in you, right? So like when you're preparing a lesson, you're always thinking like, well, you know, would I would I expect you know my trainees to do this? And you know, when you're teaching a lesson, you sort of had that critical voice in your head, like, well, you could have done that better. Come on, you're a trainer, because <laughs> um, you know, training forces you to look at like uh, the best practices every day, and our training courses are only one month long and I was I was a full-time trainer for I I don't even I can't even do the math but like from 2014 until like early 2018 I think so like that's it's a long time it's a long time to do the same sort of training again and again and again and the 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 models that that you're trying to to show your trainees sort of get ingrained in you right Mm, you're like you're you're teaching the teaching them like these methods but you're doing it like every day you know for years and years and years um and so it 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 helped me reflect back on on my early teaching days as well actually um and thinking like wow like that would have been easier with a celta (laughs) (laughs) oh yeah um i can understand that so okay so you feel like your own teaching has improved what would you say specifically is there anything you would say specifically that you feel like you got better at in terms of teaching from training yeah I I think that maybe um one of the things I was really grateful for or am still grateful for and one of the things that I really push in training is using sort of these frameworks as approaches to teaching a lesson and I uh I'm a really I'm a really creative teacher, so I can bring in a lot of different elements into the classroom. But I found sometimes earlier in my career that it was hard to structure all those ideas. Like, I wanted to do all this stuff, and it was really cool and really interactive, and the students Mm -hmm. were having a great time. But, like, what was the end goal? Like, without a framework, I I found it hard to measure sort of my students' um, achievements of their goals. Um, Because, like, without that, without, like, a specific goal in mind – yeah, I could say that they had fun and they, they probably learned something, but like, what did they specifically achieve? I think that's a really good point. And I think that is a little bit of something that's easy to get lost. It's easy to lose maybe when you're a teacher in your own classroom where, you know, you can finish one lesson and then pick up the next day or two days later when you have the next class. Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of like, oh, you know, if we don't get to it today, we'll get to it next time, which, okay, fair enough. But at the same time, I think it's nice to I felt this way too, that it's sort of like you remember how to be hyper-focused on this aimed yeah. achievement. Like I, yeah. I want to see concrete improvement in my students right. in this one lesson to right. know that they've achieved something. Yeah. And also in a way, I mean, being in the classroom, you know, after like being a, a trainer all day and like assessing people's lessons and, and having your trainer brain on, it's so nice to be in the classroom. And that's not mm. saying that teaching is easy. It's not. For those of you who are doing it, I admire you it's just different. Like it's different than training and it's differently rewarding. You know, the students, they, they look at you and they say thank you at the end of class. And I just, I love that, you know, and it's, 
because planning a lesson for me now is easier. So it's not as stressful going into a lesson. Like I can reserve a lot more energy for students because I'm so familiar with planning because I've done it so much as a trainer. Yeah. So if somebody was thinking about becoming a CELTA trainer, um, what would you tell them? What do you like about CELTA training? Anything you don't love about CELTA training? Well, okay. So advice, let's see. What do I love about CELTA training? I love, I love that I get to wear like several different hats throughout the day. It doesn't, you don't get bored as a CELTA trainer for sure. So we often start our mornings doing input sessions. So those are the sessions in which trainees learn. Um, so I would teach them how to teach reading or something like that. Um, and then, you know, in the middle of the day, we usually uh, sit down and help uh, students plan their lessons, like plan the lessons that they're going to teach the next day. And I like that, too, because it's, it's sort of a little one on one time um, with the with the trainees, I mean, with the trainees. And then um, in the afternoons, we observe lessons um, and you write feedback. And then after that, you give feedback to your trainees. So it's sort of like it's it's a busy day. It's a really busy day, but you, you can't get bored. And I, and I love that. I love um, I love giving individual advice, even even though the CELTA is a very sort of, um, it's, it's a system, right? There's a process, like there's a certain way of doing things. You still have to tailor your advice to the individual because there's a person mm-hmm. sitting in front of you. And I love that part of it. Like I love when you see that moment of clarity on their faces. Yes, I love that part of it too. Anything you don't love about being a CELTA trainer, or maybe a better way to phrase it is um, anything that you would sort of tell someone who's thinking about becoming a CELTA trainer just that they need to consider? Yeah, I, I, you know, make sure that you have a system for carving out time to do the paperwork and uh, mm-hmm. grade and, and mark the, the mark the papers. It's, you know, it's just, it's just, it comes with the job. It was hard, I think. I don't know how hard for me to learn it, but like I felt very at the beginning when I was marking assignments, I felt very tied to sort of the rubric that we use to, to mark them. And then all you know, you do so many that it just becomes rote, like you you know what you're doing. That process of learning that and, and feeling so um feeling like I, I, I couldn't miss anything, right? I needed to, to be like hyper focused on on these papers and give the best feedback possible was like a lot of, it took a lot of energy at first. Mm-hmm. I would agree with that. So let's dial it back a little bit. So not just someone who's looking to become a CELTA trainer, let's go way back to the beginning of a new teacher's career. What advice would you give a brand new teacher based on your experience teaching and your experience as a trainer? I would say definitely get training first. If you're if you're curious, like if you don't know really if you want to be a teacher, maybe maybe do like a, you know, couple week volunteer type gig. Yeah, that's a great. Yeah, try it before you, you know, you know invest in a $3,000 course, but I actually think that in a way, like if you do try teaching for just a, a you know a couple of weeks or even a month without it without without training, and then you go into a training course, mm-hmm. you like appreciate it a little bit more because you think, oh my goodness, like that's why this was working or this wasn't working or whatever. And but yeah, if you are going to you know if you're looking to go abroad to become a teacher, I strongly suggest um, training because I struggled so much. I spent the first six years of my career learning. learning by doing and um not knowing you know like I didn't have anything to measure it against like I didn't know if what I was doing was right or wrong I just sort Mm -hmm. of knew it worked or it didn't work um and it was a lot of trial and error yeah for sure I think it's that way anyway even with teachers who have done a an intensive training course but I mean 
just exponentially more if you haven't yeah. it's I cannot imagine yep. and find people with experience I think too like I was that's why I was so fortunate like I had all these co-workers when I first started working in the U.S. at um, EF who who just like took an interest in me and who are willing to share their materials and willing to share their knowledge and it was so I was so fortunate and um, so yeah that would be my other advice is like get training and get friends nice okay <laughs> Um, so how about just advice for somebody thinking about moving abroad, like aside from the teaching aspect, just kind of the living aspect of being in a different country? Yeah, do your research. So like what I was saying at the beginning, like I didn't know like where I was going. You know, I said, oh, Russia, Romania, whatever, I'll go anywhere. So I got there and like I did because it was never like this, this planned process for me. I didn't research like the country. I didn't really know anything about the history. I knew no language. Um, I, you know, I, I couldn't really get around easily at first myself. Cause it was just, I just sort of was like, okay, yeah, I'll go there. And yeah, I figured it out, but like, I could have done so much more. <laughs> like I could have mm-hmm. done so much more research. And one thing that I wish I had done and I didn't, um, I didn't do it enough was I really wish I had gotten in touch with the teacher who was there right before me. Um, I think that she would have been, such a great source of, um, you know, information for me, not only in terms of the job, but like the, the culture and sort of living in the city that I lived in. So, um, you know, if you do, if you are interested in working at a specific school, I would, I would ask, you know, in your interview process, if, if there's someone that you can be put in touch with so that you can ask that person, um, you know, all those questions. That's really great advice. Um, so let's talk a little bit about where you're going now. So from Celta training, um, you transitioned into freelance as a Celta trainer. So not working full time for the same company, but just, you know, maybe doing a course every now and then. Um, and you've transitioned into materials writing. So tell us a little bit about that. How'd you get into it? It's, that's so exciting. I almost can't believe it. It happened to me because, um, much like at the beginning of my career, like being a trainer was sort of this dream, like that, you know, it was sort of way, way out in the future in front of me. I didn't know if I'd ever achieve it. Um, writing, uh, materials was also the same. It's something I've always, always, always wanted to do. And I did on like, you know, a smaller scale, like I've written materials for my own classes. Um, when I was working for EF, I wrote some, um, lessons for young learners and high school students that were distributed um, in Germany. So that was distributed in-house. So I've had some taste of like writing materials and I always knew it was something I loved, but it was not something I, um, it was not something I, I knew I would ever really get paid to do, um, until last year. And it was, it's just been, so, it's been so, so great. Um, so yeah, uh, I have, a, a couple of contacts, um, at, um, Oxford University Press, um, and they put me in touch with one of the manage, managing editors. Um, last year, they were working on a, a new series, a new course book series called Wide Angle, and they needed writers to um, develop their online um, practice content. Mm-hmm. Okay. And that's something I really, really love doing. Like, I don't know, I don't know why. I, I really have no explanation for this one, but for some reason, I really love designing online materials. Um, and so when they asked if I'd be willing to, I was in my head, I was laughing like, willing to, are you kidding me? Like you've just given me the opportunity (laughs) of a lifetime. (laughs) But what they said was, you know, um, you know, authors often like 
kind of want to be writing for the like the course book like you know doing the course book content and they see you know like they see um the online content as like a a foot in the door and I was like well it's a great foot in the door for me like I'm writing for Oxford Mm -hmm. so since you actually like online material yeah yeah and that that opportunity led to another which led to another and so it was a really full year of projects for me through through um through Oxford and it was it was just so exciting so somebody who wants to get into materials development, and this is a thing that you can do. I mean, that, that's the cool thing about this field is it's not just teaching. It is. But from there, you know, you can branch yeah. out into yeah. CELTA training, into academic management, yeah. into materials writing. Yeah. Um, so someone who kind of wants to go that route, what would you tell them? Like, what do they need to know in terms of how to get there? Right. So I, I thought maybe, you know, when I was first started when I first started teaching, I maybe thought that I knew enough to write materials and I wrote some, but if I look back at them, I, I can see the, the problems with them now. I think the experience that I've gained being a classroom teacher teacher and knowing what works and what doesn't work and um, becoming a, a CELTA trainer has really helped me be able to develop materials that, um, that are strong. Uh, you, you have to have you have to have a knowledge of, of several things. Like, first of all, you have to have a knowledge of the levels of students. Mm-hmm. So in your mind, you have to know and have a clear idea what it means, you know, for a student to be a pre-intermediate, you know, language learner, what that sounds like, what it looks like on paper. And that you don't you don't gain that knowledge overnight. Like, you gain that with years of experience. Yeah. Like, yeah, you can't just read about it. You have to be in the classroom with those students. Absolutely. And, like, Shannon and I have gotten to the point in our careers where like we can hear a student and sort of based on how they're speaking know what level they are yeah and so like that that's knowledge that is really really important if you're going to be creating like you know materials or tests for like a a a level four student what does that even mean right so like Mm -hmm. you need to know how that sort of translates um on paper so yeah and also um also i've really been fortunate to be able to work with a ton of um course books over the years like so many and so seeing what's what's done well in one course book and not so well in another really helped too that's really good to know all right so as we're wrapping up final question kind of just for fun but because we all have wanderlust still all the time i know do you have a favorite travel destination? I have so many favorite travel destinations. <laughs> I thought so. It's a really hard question. And I it's feel bad every time such, I ask it, but I also really want to know. It's such a hard <laughs> question. So I, I'm going to answer probably with places I haven't been yet because like last year, um, actually almost, it's almost been exactly a year. Last September, I had four um, countries on my list that I really wanted to go to. And I was so lucky to be able to go to all four of them last fall. Um, so for a really, really, really long time, um, Thailand and Japan had been on the top of that list. Um, and so I was fortunate and I went there. Um, I also got to go to Australia. Um, and then, uh, and, and Spain too. So I, I'm going to cross those off my list because it's boring to talk about whatever, where I've already been. I'd rather, uh, dream and have wanderlust. (laughs) Um, I think that, yeah, I don't know. Um, on the top of my list of places to go to, um, it's so hard. I would, because I just said I wanted to talk about a place I've never been, but the only thing I can think of right now is Ireland. Like, oh, you just went. And you're, I know. You're, you have an Irish background. Yeah. So, <laughs> like, it's so silly. Like, and for the longest time, I put off Ireland, right? Like, my, my family um, 
my family is like um, Irish. What, okay, who isn't in Boston? I get it. But anyway, like my family, <laughs> like my last name's Harrington, right? So like, um, but because like I know so many people who have like Irish families and stuff, it didn't seem very unique or special to me. And for many years, I've been connecting with other cultures around the world that seemed just a, a bit more, I don't know, precious to me in a way. And I had put off going to Ireland because it, it first of all, it seemed very close to here. Um, also, it seems like something a lot of people do. And I was like, well, you know, Dublin, like, okay, there's beer, I don't know. But also, it just, <laughs> like, I, I just had so many other places I wanted to go. And then we went to Ireland, and I, I had, I was so lucky, I went with my family. We were 17 of us, which was absolutely crazy. Um, but I would go again and again. I would go every year if I could. That's amazing. Uh, it's what not, did you love so much about it? It's not a particularly large country, but I didn't know, like, maybe I just, like, live under a rock. I don't know. Like, when I pictured Ireland, I pictured, like, you know, like, the green fields and the sheep and cows and things like that, and, like, little, like, cottagey houses and stuff, and that that is some of Ireland, and that's, that's like, what it looks like where my family is from. Um, but then we went out to, like, the West Coast, and there are mountains, like, you wouldn't believe, like, beautiful beautiful mountains and really cool hiking and like these cliffs that just like dive right off into the the ocean and it's just like it is the most beautiful sort of like wild beauty um that I, that I've ever seen and I think maybe it's that's that way because I feel somewhat connected um to that to that place um but yeah if if I could go back tomorrow I would for sure I love it that makes me want to go back too well, Lauren, this was great. Um, obviously, there will be future episodes with the two of us because you are the co-host of Expand Your Horizons, <laughs> but it was really fun to get to deviate from our normal pattern and actually interview you as a guest this time. Thanks so, so much for having me. Thanks for letting me do that. All right. Until next week, everybody. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. Your support means so much to us. Feel free to leave a comment below if you enjoyed this and let us know what you want to hear about in upcoming episodes. If you know other teachers and travelers, we'd love for you to share this podcast with them too. And tune in this coming Tuesday for our next episode. Until then, you can find us at tefelhorizons.com. Let's keep making this big world smaller by expanding horizons.